0: Uh, this is our 27th message through the, the Gospel of Mark, and we are at chapter 8. Just to review uh, quickly for you, if you missed chapter 7, really, uh, chapter 7 could be divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 23 of Mark chapter 7 is really about phony religion that was demonstrated by the Pharisees, and it was, of course, rebuked and condemned by Jesus. And then in contrast to that, verses 24 through 37 is about pure religion that was demonstrated by Jesus himself. And as we have pointed out, the great emphasis of this tour that Jesus and his disciples are on, the, the main focus, and we'll see this again today, is that the reach of the kingdom of God will extend beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. And this is a tour that has taken several months, 120 to 150 miles that Jesus and his disciples are are covering and everywhere they go in this uh, journey, they are reminded that they are no longer in Israel. Every place that they go now is filled with Gentile people or as Dorothy said to Toto, I have a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. These folks, everywhere they went, they were reminded this is not a familiar place. This is, this is uncomfortable place for us uh, it is outside of what is considered normal. And last week we looked at two statements, especially in verse number 27, that I hope resonated with you. And we talked about them this morning in our faith groups. But as, as they uh, were going and ministering, that the, the people of Decapolis, it says that they were beyond a measure astonished, or they were overwhelmed with amazement. And as we talked about this morning, it's a good evaluation for us to say, how amazed are we at God? How amazed are we at what Jesus has done for us? How easy it is for us to, to, to get used to being bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Getting used to having eternal life in heaven. And so it says that as they saw him, they were beyond measure astonished. And their conclusion of his work is that he hath done all things well. What he does, he does perfectly, he does completely. And and what we also see very clearly in chapter 7 is that supernatural faith results in breakthrough. And we talked about that this morning as well in our in our faith group. Thank God for that mother who had the demon-possessed daughter who came desperate to Jesus and was determined for Jesus to hear hear her, although she was a Gentile woman and had no uh, real means to get to Jesus. And, And so she comes to him. And in Matthew, Jesus says, your faith is great faith. The friends who brought this mute man and, and this deaf man to Jesus, it was their faith. We saw very clearly the supernatural faith. And today as we begin chapter 8, we're going to look at a longer section, verses 1 through 26. And it's going to take us two weeks uh, to cover it. I, when, I, when I first started studying this section, I thought I'll cover all 26 verses in one setting. We'll, we'll knock it out. And then I told Brother Brian this morning, we need to cut some music because I'm, my, my sermon is growing as the moments go by. And we're only going to get through the first point this morning, only through verses 1 through 10. But I want us to read all 26 verses because I want you to, to see the whole picture because it really is, is one thought. And it is an illustration about spiritual blindness. It's a lesson on spiritual blindness, that some will die in spiritual blindness. Did you know that? That that there are those who will die, they will live and die in spiritual blindness. There are those who will will find sight spiritually. And Jesus closes this section with a, a miracle illustration regarding blindness. And and he gives this opening, verses 1 through 10, also to kind of to lay the groundwork. And so I've entitled this section, An Eye-Opening Lesson. Of course, Jesus is teaching his disciples. So I know it's a little bit lengthy, but if you're able to stand, let's stand for the reading of God's word. If you can't, we understand that for sure. And we will read down through verse number 26. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and said unto them, I have compassion on the multitude. I'd like for you to mark that little statement. Verse number two, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I sent them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint, by the way, for divers of them came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took the, the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people and they, they had a few small fishes and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and they were filled and they took up the, of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about 4,000 And he sent them away, and straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he said unto them, why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, Have have you your hearts yet hardened? Having eyes see you not, having ears hear you not, and do you not remember, that's an important phrase, do you not remember when I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they, they said seven. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? And he came to Bethesda and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught, And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Father, as we come to your word again this morning, we come hungry for you to speak to us, for you to work in our hearts. We come humbly, Lord, knowing that you are God and we are not, and we surrender and submit ourselves underneath the authority of you and and your word to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to all of us. I pray, Lord, that we will come to you with honest hearts, that we will truly say, as the psalmist did, search our hearts and know us and change us. This is our prayer today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If while we were reading this morning you had deja vu, there's a reason for that. How many of you thought, we've already, we've already covered this? We've already talked about this? You, we read today in chapter 8 a very similar story that we covered in... Chapter six. In fact, a lot of commentary comment, uh, commentators—there's the word commentators would, would say that this is the same story. Obviously, this is is not the same story. It is a different miracle with different amounts of people, different amounts of food, different amounts of leftovers in a a different location. This is not a contradictory story with with mixed up details from chapter 6. And we know that because Jesus addresses both feedings in the text. The, The truth is that there were probably a lot more feedings of of thousands and of groups and just those that are recorded for us in the scripture. If you remember, it was John who closed out his gospel by saying in the very last verse, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. But many of the details in the account in chapter 6 and the account in chapter 8, they are similar. But I want to just divide this larger section into to four clear, smaller sections and just get through the first one today. Because there are some rich things in just the first 10 verses that I, I want to bring to our attention this morning from the Word of God. Remember, Jesus is still teaching his disciples uh, some important lessons and this is all leading up to a, a very very important section that is to come up right after this and just for sake of context I want you to see what this is leading up to look at verse number 27 of Mark chapter 8 and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi and by the way he asked his disciples saying unto them this question who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, say this with me, thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And I'm going to resist the urge this morning of chasing that rabbit of that next section, although I want to, it's a glorious text. and I want to just go back to the the first 10 verses and i want us to kind of zone in and walk away this morning with this thought uh, a lesson that jesus is teaching on compassion a lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples and you and I on compassion. There is no doubt about it as you read this, this story and you understand the context in which it was written. That Jesus is culminating a compassion for all people in the hearts of the disciples. Remember the disciples are Jewish. They have been taught to despise Uh, The Gentile people, they do not look at them the same way. And I love this little detail in verse number two. You see, up to this point, we have been told by the gospel writers, not by Jesus himself, but an observation by the gospel writers that as Jesus saw the, the crowds, when Jesus saw the multitudes, they wrote, he was moved with compassion. This was an observation that they had of Jesus as they watched him minister. But there is something different about this in verse number two, because this is not just an observation. This is out of the mouth of Jesus himself. He turns to his disciples. He takes them aside. He calls them apart and he wants them to understand this. I have compassion on this multitude. I have compassion on these people that you see And what I believe is significant about that is because, as I mentioned, the apostles were Jews. They would have had no problem observing that Jesus had compassion on their own people on Jewish audiences, but, but no doubt they who had grown up with animosity toward the Gentiles, they were still having trouble understanding why Jesus was showing the same affection, the same love, the same compassion to the Gentiles. And so I don't want you to miss this this morning. I think the greatest contrast of the feeding in Mark chapter 6 and the feeding in Mark chapter 8 is not the amount of loaves and the amount of fishes and the the amounts that were left over, although those are, are different details. The main point, I believe, of chapter 8 and chapter 6 is the audience in which Jesus is dealing with. The people that he is speaking to is no longer the Jewish people. Remember, they're, they're outside of, of uh, Israel now and they're going under these people. And the point that Jesus is making is that he is, he is declaring himself to them that he has deep compassion on the Gentile world. It's important for us to understand what true compassion is too this morning. Because maybe you think you have compassion Maybe I think sometimes I have compassion, but the truth is we have nothing more than sympathy or we have nothing more than empathy. There is something very different between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Sympathy is simply feeling sorry for someone. And sometimes when we hear some devastating news about someone, we feel sorry for them. Empathy is internalizing the sympathy and putting ourselves in their situation and really internalizing it. But compassion is very different. And I believe that the difference between sympathy and empathy and compassion is that compassion includes action. Compassion includes action. Would you say that with me? Compassion includes action, it doesn't just feel. It acts. And whenever the Bible records that Jesus has compassion, is moved with compassion, it is always followed not just with a statement, but with action. He, he, he does something about his compassion. So take this home with you today. If true compassion is to actually be born in our hearts, not just sympathy, not just empathy, but true compassion is to be born in our hearts, it must find expression in our hands in what we do. Compassionate Action. It's doing something about what we see. It's doing something about what we feel. And I want us just to take a moment here this morning and pause and evaluate because this is so very important. When we see people in need, do we have sympathy? Do we have empathy? Or do we have compassion? When we see people in our congregation and beyond who are battling cancer or or battling other life-threatening illnesses, is our heart filled with sympathy or empathy or is it filled with compassion? Because there's a difference. When we we look at uh, people uh, or groups of people, a school, a church, who are involved in a mass shooting, and we see it on TV now almost every single week, When we see that, is it, or or let's say a, a tornado or a flood or a hurricane, is our heart moved with sympathy or empathy as we hear that or is it moved with compassion? Now let's move this a step further into the spiritual realm because whenever Jesus is speaking physically, there's always a deeper meaning, right? There's always a deeper meaning. And I want to ask you this morning, when we think about billions of people all around this world who have never heard the name of Jesus or a clear gospel presentation, does it move our hearts? Are we moved to sympathize? Are we moved to empathize? Or are we moved to action? Are we moved to do something about it? Are we involved in getting the gospel to them? The most important thing. Thing this morning, church are the souls, the eternal souls of men and women, boys and girls. The greatest thing that we can do is invest in their lives. I think of James chapter two, verses fifteen. It's not in your notes; it's not on the screen. But James writes, "If a brother or sick sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you saying to depart in peace, be you warmed and filled,' notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit?" And let me ask you really this morning, if all we have is sympathy and all we have is empathy, what does it profit? What does it profit if we don't put action to it, if we don't do something about it? Every time Jesus was moved with compassion, there was action that followed it. If we ever cease to see God doing supernatural things, and by the way, as Christians, one of the great desires that we ought to have is that as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that, we, that he is working through us and we are seeing God do supernatural things that are beyond you and I. And if we ever cease to see God doing supernatural things through our lives, let us suggest that we could very well be because our hearts are simply moved with sympathy and empathy, but they're not moved with compassion. They're not moved to action. Compassion, per, perhaps we need to, be, to begin this day by saying, God, would you would you produce some spirit Induced compassion into my heart, into my life. Remember how Jude finished his little epistle? One chapter, the last verse, verse 22, he says, And of some having compassion, notice this last phrase, making a what? A difference. If you really want to make a difference, if we really want to make a difference, then we are going to have to move beyond sympathy and empathy to compassion, because sympathy alone will not make a difference. Empathy alone will not make a difference. Compassion is what we need to truly make a difference in people's lives. What we see in the first few verses of this chapter is that compassion originates with God. And aren't you glad this morning that we have a God who is compassionate? The only reason you and I can experience compassion, the only reason that compassion can possibly flow through us is because it originated with God. This is why Jesus, who was on the cross and those who had beat him and those who had tortured him, you remember on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Bible calls him the father of all comforts, the God of all comforts. The Holy Spirit himself is called the comforter. And here Jesus proclaims that his heart is filled with compassion. And the compassion of God is what moves him to offer salvation to mankind. So you and I this morning ought to be very thankful that we have a compassionate God. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 78, and they remembered that God was their rock and the high God and their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did, they did flatter him with their mouth. They lied upon unto him with their tongues, for their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Verse 38. But he, but God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. How many of you are thankful for that kind of a God? Lamentations chapter 3, and we just sang it this morning. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. For they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. You see, all of Jesus' healings, all of his deliverances, all of his acts of resurrection, all of his relief in feeding people, all of it was to reveal and to demonstrate his divine compassion. And what we see as we follow Jesus is that any person, Jew or Gentile, with a need, received the compassion of Jesus. Not only does compassion originate with God, but we also see that compassion grows through serving others. Compassion grows through serving others. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. What is Jesus doing here? He is teaching his disciples. He is cultivating compassion in his disciples. And they have another conversation about how Jesus is going to solve this problem of hunger And I I believe, again, this this comes down to a, a teaching moment for the disciples, a simple lesson in unprejudiced compassion and selfless giving. He is teaching them that their compassion should not just be for certain people, it should be for all people, and that they should give selflessly to all people. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I don't want you to miss the detail in here too, that Jesus is asking the disciples to share their bread with the Gentiles. Jews didn't even eat with Gentiles. Now you're asking us to create food for them? This is the lesson that Jesus is teaching. This is why he turned to them and says, I have compassion on these people, not just the Jews but on these people as well. And did you notice what Jesus is doing in these feeding miracles? It's here, so it's not really a rabbit trail. He's teaching the disciples that if they will gladly give to him what they have, what will he do? He'll multiply it. He'll multiply it. They gave him seven loaves. They they left with seven baskets. And we don't always see the, this overnight or nece- necessarily even in physical ways. But whether it's time or talents or treasure, the things that God has given us to steward for him, God always, listen church, God always blesses selfless generosity. He always blesses it. Time and time again in Scripture, he teaches this principle. And sometimes we argue that we don't have quite enough time to do certain ministries, or we don't have enough time, or or we don't have uh, enough treasures to, to give what God has called us to give. And what we will see is that God will redeem the time. God will give us the time as we seek first his kingdom. I can promise you this if your heart is in tune with God's heart, you will never, you will never regret giving generously to the kingdom of God. You'll never regret it. But here again is the primary point Jesus is making what I did for the Jews, I will do for the Gentiles. Jesus says, my heart was moved with compassionate action for the Jews, and my heart is moved with compassionate action or or compassion on the Gentiles. And all the while, he's teaching the disciples. And listen, church, don't, don't let it stop there. He's teaching you and I this morning. Unprejudiced compassion. Would you say that with me? Unprejudiced. I don't know if that's a word, but we just made it one. Unprejudiced compassion. It was on all the people. My heart was moved with compassion for the Jews. It's moved on compassion for the Gentiles. You see, supernatural compassion is to act on behalf of not just those that our human flesh likes and has things in common with, not just compassion on our family members, not just compassion on our co-workers. Christ-like compassion acts on behalf of those that we have nothing in common with. Compassion on those that we are brought up even to look down upon as the disciples were. Let's just bring it to where we live and ask ourselves if you were pumping gas today and there on the curb, beside where you were pumping, was an American woman with her four children and they were hungry and they were dirty. What would you feel? Would it be sympathy? Would it be empathy? Would it be... Perhaps move to action? What if that same scenario was taking place, but instead of an American woman, it was a Muslim woman? There with all of her garb on and the children with all of their garb on. What would you feel then? Would it be different? It's worth asking, isn't it? Or let's say it's a man and his family who've done their best to destroy you. They've talked about you. They've done their best to bring you down. And we all know how fast word can travel in a small town, right? What would your heart feel then? That's the point. It's unprejudiced compassion. Because Jesus hasn't just called us to love and show compassion to those who love us, to those who are like us. The truth is that it is probable that the disciples didn't feel the same feelings towards those people, those, that crowd that Jesus felt. It's probable that they didn't feel the same thing. Brother Abe, that they felt when Jesus was feeding those Jewish people. And man, here was their observation. He has moved with compassion on them. We want to make sure and record this. It, it, it is a, a good possibility that they didn't feel the same. And it's easy for us to say that we would address any need in front of us until it's a person we disagree with. Until it's a person who's tried to destroy us. And this is why Jesus, please listen, this is why Jesus time and time again calls for us to cross those boundaries and says, love your, what? Enemies. Do good to them that use you, that do bad to you. Pray for them. No, it's not easy. No, it's not easy for God to pray that he would bless that one who has tried to destroy you. No, it's not easy to give out of your own pocket to bless those who've talked about you behind your back. But that is exactly, church, what God has called us to do. Not just sympathy, not just empathy, but compassion that acts. I want to suggest that it really is what the Christian life is all about. You say, that's not natural. (laughs) Exactly. It's supernatural. It's the Holy Spirit working through us to do what we cannot do and what we would not do on our own. So that is why I want you to see this morning. This is an eye-opening lesson on compassion to the disciples, and it's an eye-opening lesson on compassion to you and I. In fact, before we even go to the invitation, perhaps we just need to stop and admit, God, I need more compassion. God, I can't produce this compassion. This is going to come through you. Will you, through your Holy Spirit, create in me more compassion? of a heart of compassion that produces more than just feelings of sympathy and empathy, but actions of compassion. And then, of course, verses six through nine, Jesus does basically the, the same thing that he did in the feeding of the Jewish masses. He demonstrates that he is this compassionate provider. He creates bread from grain that never grew. He creates fish. He didn't go get them from the water. He created them and he created them dead, ready to eat. Fried them up right there. Hush puppies and all, right right there in his thoughts. When they came out, they were ready to eat. This is how Jesus works. He creates, he does exactly what he did in six days when he created the earth. He makes something out of nothing, he feeds them until they're full, until they're satisfied which is why they proclaimed in Decapolis, he does all things well. He does all things complete. The primary difference to note in the two recorded feedings here is his divine compassion for all people. His desire to meet the needs of all people through you and I. Anybody ever heard of Gypsy Smith, an old preacher? You ought to read about him. Gypsy Smith said this, there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. And most people will never read the first four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you. And most people will never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I can promise you this, they're reading you. In fact, Paul says, we are an epistle written. People are reading our lives. And Jesus has gone back into heaven. He has ascended back into heaven. He has gone there and he has left you and I here to be, Brother Terry, his hands and his feet. His means of compassion. In other words, if the world is ever going to see this kind of Jesus, guess what? They're going to see it in us. They're going to see it through us. So Jesus is finishing up this this journey into Gentile territory. In fact, verse 10 is the end of it. And what have the disciples learned? What has Jesus been teaching them? What is he teaching you and I? Let me just give you these closing thoughts. Some lessons from the tour to Gentile lands. Number one, Jesus is God By the way, if you don't get that, you can't have salvation. Jesus' main point in all that he is doing is to prove that he is God. He shows his creative power. He declared himself to be God. John 14 If you have seen the Father, you have seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are one. He created food, he stilled storms, he stopped winds, he stopped waves, he walked on the water. Why? All evidences of his divine person, Jesus Christ. Listen, here's his proof. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is God. He is the one that the prophets prophesied of long before he ever came. Not only did he want to prove that Jesus is God... And teach, I should say, that he is God. But the second thing is that Jesus will provide every need. Time and time again, this is what he's teaching them. And by the way, right when he leaves, goes back to heaven, he makes sure they know this. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. My provision for you doesn't stop when I leave here. My provision will continue for you. Paul writes later, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And he wants them to know by all of these miracles that he does indeed do all things well. He does them perfect. He does them complete. He gives full satisfaction and he will provide every need. And then... Thirdly, that his compassion reaches beyond the Jews. Which is why every church, I believe, every church ought to be involved in getting the gospel, not just to their community, but around the world. Amen. I believe every Christian has a responsibility. Why do you say that? Because when Jesus left here, he gave us the Great Commission Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to how many creatures? every creature. He says, start, yeah, start in Jerusalem, start in your home, then spread out to Judea, then spread out to Samaria. And then he says, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the responsibility that we have been given. As we go further into the gospel, Jesus will do less and less physical miracles and he will begin teaching more and more. You're going to see this as we go through more and more about his sacrificial death on the cross. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him, God, to be made like unto his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Why? To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You see, it's, it's one thing to feed a hungry crowd. It's something else to pay the penalty of their sin. But that's where this is all leading. That's where this is all going. When we talk about the compassion of Jesus, we're ultimately, don't tune me out yet, we're ultimately taken to the cross. The miracles are not the greatest demonstration of Jesus' compassion, it's when he hung on the cross. It's when he told that thief standing beside him, Today you will be with me in paradise. What if the greatest miracle of all is just on the other end of our compassion? What if the reason we're not seeing God do really supernatural things through our life is because we simply have sympathy, we simply have empathy. But we don't have compassion, not the way that we should. You see, compassion is not, it's not tipping God. It's not giving him just a brief moment of our week. It is, for me, as Paul said, for me to live as Christ. What consumes our thoughts? What consumes our time? What consumes our actions? When we, when we are paid, what's the first thing we think about? Let me say not because I'm a pastor. Let me say because God's word tells us this is the way to have a joyful life. The first thing we ought to think about is the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Colossians 3.12, and I close with this verse. Paul said, put on therefore. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Say, what's that word? What's that talking about? Compassion. Same word. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. You see, my point this morning that I hope you go home with is that Jesus has called us to more than just sympathy. He's called us more to just empathy, Jason. He has called us to compassionate action being involved, making an impact. You want to make a difference? Got to have more than sympathy. Got to have more than empathy. We need compassion. Of some having compassion, making a difference. And I'll be honest with you as your pastor this morning, I'll be the first to say that if I haven't already this week in my study had to confess some things before the Lord and ask God to help me, I would need to be the first one in this altar this morning. Because a lot of times we simply see, we simply feel, but we don't act. This week, 12 or 13 of our men are getting ready to board a plane on Tuesday and fly into remote villages into Honduras to give the gospel. You say, why are they doing that? Is that not dangerous? Yeah, it's a little dangerous. Since when did we think that God has not called us to to dangerous places to do dangerous things? Is that in the Bible? Oh, he constantly causes us into those places. And these are people who have said, and some of them for the first time, I'm going to put action to this. I'm going to put action to it. I, I've seen the, the videos. I've seen the pictures. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put action. It's, it's why many of you give. To world missions. It's why next year we already have 20 something people signed up to go to Nicaragua. Be very careful. It's because we need to be a people who are putting action to our feelings, okay? This is the lesson of Jesus to our hearts.